If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a reoccurring or one-time donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate Now button. Donations made to Mayflower's Radio Fund are tax-deductible and go toward keeping this podcast available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City, one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe that religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower UCC Church of Oklahoma City. Will you pray with me? A thing happened last week, Holy One. There's a woman in the executive branch, and now there's glass all over the floor in America. You, of course, are no stranger to Kamala Harris, but it's important for us to note that she is also the first black vice president and the first South Asian American vice president, and also the first vice president to wear stilettos or checks to the office, depending on the occasion. One of the first things she did was acknowledge that she came to be standing at the podium because of generations of women, black women, Asian, white, Latina, and Native American women throughout our nation's history who have paved the way for this moment. And her mama, of course. If Mr. Rogers asked us to think about all the people who loved us into being, let us also remember those who labored, voted, walked, ran, organized, protested, and marched us into being especially those who were not thought to be the right gender or color or religion to have insisted on equality, opportunity, and dignity. We know from the fact that it took so long for us to get to this moment that we still have much ground to cover to make it so that there are that no one is turned away, that none are excluded, none deemed less than. For we know what Jesus said about the stone that the builders rejected. Be with us, Holy One, as we draw on the courage, wisdom, and work of those who got us here. Then strengthen our hearts as we take the baton and get further down the road. Amen. Our guest preacher this morning is Reverend Courtney Richards, who ministers alongside the people at Harvard Avenue Christian Church in Tulsa. As Connections pastor, she creates ministries of hospitality, welcome and logistics, worship and aesthetics, pastoral care, leadership development, writing and teaching. In 2012, she curated and co-edited It's Not All About You, Young Adults Seeking Justice for Chalice Press. Courtney serves on the board of directors for Tulsa Metropolitan Ministry and is a member of the Community Advisory Council for Tulsa Public Schools. She is a huge fan of music and fine arts, 
a bit of a news public radio and social media junkie, and as a Texan with Kentucky heritage, loves nothing more than good conversation over great food and drink. Courtney is a dear friend and trusted colleague to myself and many other UCC pastors in Oklahoma. Thank you for being with us, Reverend Richards. We are delighted to learn from you. Her sermon this morning comes from 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 8 through 16. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Now go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and live there, for I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he set out and went to Zarephath. When he came to the gate of the town, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel so that I may drink. As she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of meal in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I am now gathering a couple of sticks so that I may go home and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, Do not be afraid. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterwards make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of meal will not be emptied and the jug of oil will not fail until the day that the Lord sends rain on the earth. She went and did as Elijah said, so that she as well as he and her household ate for many days. The jar of meal was not emptied, neither did the jug of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. What a joy and a truly humbling honor to be in worship with you today. I've been here in person once or twice, joining you for worship in the last few years. And in the last few months, one of the strange and lovely gifts of being away from our worship spaces has been the chance to actually be in lots of worship spaces, joining together online from wherever we are. So thank you for welcoming me and so many into the Warmth of Your Fellowship online and into this morning's service especially. Do you know how well-known you are, Mayflower? You are a shining light in the church world. Your good reputation precedes you. You are a church who shows up at the right time and in the needed places, and that matters. You already know that your pastor, Lori Walkie, my dear sister and trusted companion in this wild and wonderful journey of ministry, shows up with endless energy and a pastoral presence and a richly prophetic witness at the right time and in the needed places. I cried happy, proud tears and rejoiced with you this summer as you honored her degree completion and we got to call her Reverend Doctor together. I teach a class once a week at Phillips Seminary in Tulsa, one of Lori's alma maters. And I told my students on Tuesday that I had been gifted the message this week at Mayflower's worship service at Lori's invitation. And to a person, they smiled and nodded and murmured in recognition. This connection is not a thing that we take lightly and you should know that you are known. Thank you for being a people who show up faithfully and full of faith. We take a lesson today from some others who show up at the right time and in the needed places too. 
a prophet and a widow and God. Here's what happened. This was a time where the people had asked God for kings to lead them. Over and over they had cried as if they were lost and leaderless, give us a king, and so God did. And the chapters just before where we read today are stark examples of be careful what you wish for, because they got kings all right there in the Holy Land of Israel, but those kings had no interests outside themselves, and they turned from Yahweh, and they became their own gods, and they built altars to idols, and they destroyed whole peoples and families, sometimes including their very own households. And so, making a very abrupt entrance, as prophets tend to do, we open chapter 17. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishba in Gilead, he just shows up fully formed, no backstory or introduction. And his entry onto the scene is to tell Ahab, the latest in this seriously problematic line of kings, so here's the thing, we're in a drought now. Not only won't it rain, there won't even be dew until God decides that this place is ready to be renewed. And literally, the next verse is God saying to Elijah, okay, let's get you out of here. But that's the prophet's gig, you see. Appear, often out of nowhere, speak the word of the Lord, and then on to the next place and people that need a little course correction. Because that's the work of prophecy. It's not fortune telling and forecasting. It's stating how things are. There's a drought now and saying, there's probably a reason for that. Maybe you should think about it. So this is where we pick up today. God has hustled Elijah off first to a ravine where he is fed by ravens. I am not making that part up. And then when that dries up, the God who provides points to Zarephath in Sidon and says, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Here's the thing I noticed though, and maybe you did too. We don't get a scene where God actually gives the widow the instruction. I sort of want to ask the Holy One, so did you think to tell her you were sending this guy her way? Or do you just know that she's the kind of person who will help no matter what? But anyway, either way, Elijah goes, and he does indeed find her, and she does indeed help. Alice Ogden Bellis reminds us that widows are named in the Hebrew Bible alongside orphans and sojourners who are travelers and strangers, as the community's most vulnerable and in need of particular care. As Claudia Camp points out, the widow has almost as little as the ravens did, plus she has another mouth to feed. But the prophet speaks a promise over her and her son that the oil and the meal won't run out, and it comes to pass. So as Elijah arrives at Zarephath, he meets the widow who is gathering sticks. He sends her to get him water. He doesn't ask, he tells her to go. And as she's going, he says, oh, and also bring some bread. So she'd already started off to get the water, but when he expects food too, she stops short. Like, there's hospitality, and then there's this. So hear the desperation in her reply. As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of meal in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm now gathering a couple of sticks so that I may go home and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Notice how she starts. 
as the Lord your God lives. This is a woman not of the kingdom of Israel. This is a woman of Zarephath in Sidon, which is north of the land of Israel in the states known as Phoenicia. So when she says the Lord your God, she's pointing out that they don't think the same way, that he's asking her for something that is really hard to give. It's not really a poetic opening or a prayer for her, as we might expect. It's more like exasperation and overwhelm, as the Lord your God lives. And she points out, I'm gathering sticks here. We barely have a few grains of meal and a few drops of oil. I'm taking these sticks and I'm making whatever paste or cake I can so that we can eat and die. Not a woman equipped for generosity. It's not that she doesn't want to help. She just points out that she's starting pretty far behind. But Elijah persists, a good quality for those who would speak prophetically. And he says, what is it he says here? Do not be afraid. Oh, you love to hear it. Do not be afraid. He says that God will bless and renew the grain and the oil, and there will be plenty to carry them all through. And so she goes, and she comes back with the cake, and the promise holds true. She, as well as he and her household, ate for many days. Womanist scholar Mozella Mitchell says, the woman must have been puzzled by the audacity of this stranger. She must have stared at him long and hard. Yet there must have been something persuasive about this man, or the Spirit of God must have moved in the heart of the woman in a special way. For she went ahead and prepared the mite of meal for the man as he had asked. Translator and commentator Robert Alter says, the fact that a foreign woman comes to recognize the power of the God of Israel is important here. Whether or not we see God speaking to her, God seems to have designated her to play this role. The order of the feeding, the prophet says, feed me and then make something for yourself and for your son. I promise there will be enough. This order seems a strange reversal of what you would expect compassion to call for. Shouldn't one sent by God be the one helping, not demanding it? But maybe it's to challenge the woman to place implicit faith in the prophet and in the promise from the God who sent him. And catch this part, God doesn't tell Elijah to convince her of the divine's presence or power first. Elijah just says, go on, and if you do this, it'll all be fine. Not only does the food hold out, but in the next few verses past where we are today, the woman's son dies, and Elijah, in rather dramatic fashion, raises him back to life. I know, right? Alter points out, that this is almost a character model for someone we meet much later in scripture. He suggests it is obviously Elijah, not Moses or Isaiah, who establishes the template for many of the stories about Jesus in the Gospels. Sharing abundant meals where there seemed to be only meager supplies. Bringing new life where it was thought to be dead. Huh, what do you know? We often say casually, the Lord provides. What we give less thought to is how. This widow, known only by her husband's name and as the mother of a son, provides the very saving grace that a prophet needs. What might God do with us, with our own handful of provisions, 
and in our own time. This story from the Hebrew Scriptures, from the history section of the library known as the Bible, this is not a gospel in the way we use that word to refer to one of the first four books in the Christian New Testament. But in the sense of gospel meaning good news, this is. And while we often say that the gospel is good news for the poor, my friend and colleague Amy Goff often points out that what we really need, what will really move and transform us is good news from the poor. And that is what this is. This prophet Elijah meets a widow at the city gate looking for sticks. She intends only to feed her son with the barest morsel that she has left, and then they will both die. But then Elijah asks for what she barely has. And even after she replies by pushing back, he still asks, tells her to help him as if he didn't hear. Or maybe, maybe he asked, told her again because he knew, because he had already just experienced that God would provide. And she goes along. She brings what she has because trust, as Sarah Kinning says, trust at times can look like audacity. The widow of Zarephath shows us good news. And I tell you all of that to tell us this. You have what you need. You are your own best offering. When you are most desperate, most worn, most exasperated, most overwhelmed. I'm sorry, did someone say pandemic, election, school year, quarantine, economic crisis, white supremacy, domestic violence, storm recovery, job loss, communal spread of virus numbers, climate crisis, political indignity, personal conflict? Whenever could we possibly feel desperate or worn or done with it all, hoping to scrape together our grains of meal and call it good? And yet, the divine persists. The prophet speaks. You have what you need. You are your offering. Walk in faith. Bring it here. Let's share it. Mix it. Make it ours. Show up at the right times and in the right places. There will be enough. There is already enough. Go now. Do not be afraid. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching from Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services every Sunday are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m., with adult education classes at 10 a.m. and a full church school for all ages is available during the second service. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd, a block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.